If you had a book, there was a sentence in the, every single book that they read that says there is no God. How many times do they have to see that before it takes root? You know, you might bypass it the first time, but if every time you see it over and over and over, and then you see it in the movies and you hear it at school and this and that, how many times does that take? before your child's worldview is different. Hey everybody, welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. It's Fearless with Mark and Amber, a husband and wife show journaling our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, and our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer. And if you're new to the show and just joining us, welcome. We are glad you're here. Today's show is another informational one as we begin discussing the library books being offered to our children in their schools and public libraries and what we as parents and grandparents need to be aware of. We're going to share a recent sit-down interview we did with longtime children's book reader and researcher Debbie DeGroff. But before that, if you've missed any of the previous episodes, as we've documented the many interviews for this new movie, The Mind Polluters, be sure to visit our website, fearlessfeatures.org, where you can search the archives of this show and learn more from others about the perverted worldview children all across America are facing in the classrooms. And joining me as usual is my husband, award-winning filmmaker, author, Mark Archer. Your husband of 13 years. Oh, recent anniversary. Happy anniversary, my dear. Happy anniversary, my dear. We We got got married on Friday the 13th. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the 13th anniversary of our Friday the 13th (laughs) wedding. It was... A lot of people get freaked out by that. I know. I think uh, eh, actually whatever. it was cheaper to get married on Friday and it just happened to fall on the 13th. We really didn't care. Yeah. So. <laughs> Makes no difference to us. <laughs> it, it helped us afford the venue that we wanted and uh, everything else was cheaper too. So. Yeah. So there you go. We had our fairy tale wedding and it Budgeted was, precisely. It, it, was, it was quite e- economical. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, can you tell everybody what The Mind Polluters, this new documentary film that we're working about, if there's somebody who's just joining us, can you kind of give them a quick overview? Because, boy, this is a thick, mm-hmm. <laughs> thick study. Sure. Let me, uh, let me illustrate with an article from World Net Daily. Okay. Uh, This is entitled, Girl Has Bible Confiscated by School Officials. Mm. Um, I've not read this one. We'll put this in the show notes. So, a little girl had her Bible confiscated by school officials. How could this still be happening in America? Local school officials still don't seem to have gotten the message. We recently heard from the parents of Gabrielle, a second grader in Illinois. It seems Gabrielle likes to bring her Bible to school and read it during recess. Sometimes she reads it aloud, and sometimes other kids listen in and talk with her about what she's reading, the report said. Constitutional crisis? It shouldn't be, but little Gabrielle had her Bible taken away by a teacher and was told, quote, you just can't be doing that. Wow. The school then told the little girl's parents she was not allowed to read the Bible during recess. What? The parents objected, and the school changed its course slightly, determining she could read it during outside recess, but not during inside recess. It just can't be seen. Right. Like like the Bible's so offensive. Just the Bible alone, visually seeing it, is so offensive that you can't even read it. Right. Uh, that was after the school confirmed there were no complaints about the Bible reading. 
No complaints except for the teacher. Except for the teacher. It was a simple case of public school officials' hypersensitivity to the specter of a threat from the ACLU Mm -hmm. or some similar spreader of long-debunked propaganda about separation of church and state. Very true. Her parents then called the ACLJ, American Center for Law and Justice, and its lawyers sent a letter with an explanation of what the law allows. <laughs> this is always fun. This is fun. Quote, we let them know about the now half-century-old Supreme Court case of Tinker v. Des Moines Independent School District, mm-hmm. 1969. In Tinker, students wore black armbands on their sleeves to exhibit their disapproval of the Vietnam War and were sent home and suspended from school. Ruling in the students' favor, the Supreme Court in Tinker held that students do not, quote, shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate, end quote. The school then reversed itself regarding the Bible reading. (laughs) So what is the mind polluters about? Well, if you're like us and you wake up to a new version of this every day, sometimes multiple times a day, as parents, we see this and we start asking What's going on? What is all this stuff? And for us, it started with what's called comprehensive sexual education. That's the thread that we started pulling on. Then we discovered social emotional learning. Then we discovered critical race theory. And then we... But we can only focus on one at a time. Right. So thus was born the film, The Mind Polluters. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we have discovered is unbelievable what is happening in the schools pushing this hypersexualized educational content, if you will. It's pornography being pushed onto our students Mm -hmm. through the government schools. Just perverting the worldview. It it really is. It's it's really comes down to a battle of worldviews. Mm -hmm. And so I have a I have a little scripture here to share before we get into Debbie's uh, interview. As believers, we have a biblical worldview. And so We always need to go back to the scriptures and say, what does the scripture say about this? Well, how about Proverbs 22, verse 6? Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And I thought about that as I read that article about the second grader in Illinois. Mm -hmm. It is our responsibility. And and notice this is not a suggestion. It doesn't say you should. Mm -hmm. Or I highly recommend. This is... You are too. You will, <laughs> as a parent, you will train a child in the way he should go. Well, and Debbie even references that um, today in her interview. And, you know, she also talks about, you know, she's been doing this for so many years. And I thought it was interesting because she's going to go through here. And there's a couple things we need to point out before she gets into this, because I'm not going to assume that everybody understands what CECUS is mm-hmm. or CSE. Uh, there's a lot of these acronyms that are being used today that we all tend to get overwhelmed with and confused. So she is going to reference CECUS. And originally, when it started in the late 1960s, it was Sexual Information and Education Council of the United States. Now, they are not affiliated or a government-run Entity. Right. They're not an official agency. They are self appointed, but use their name very slyly Mm -hmm. to look like they're the go to for everything. And even their logo, it very much looks like some sort of official government 
agency. Yes. Yeah, they're very good at appointing themselves as experts. Right. Yeah. Well, and today, just to give you an example, how much they've, you know, they're just totally out of the closet now, if you will. Their CECUS is now, instead of the Sexual Information and Education Council of the United States, it's CECUS Sex Ed for Social Change. So yeah. that kind of tells you everything you need to know. If that doesn't bring up the red flags all over the dash. Mm hmm. Nothing else will. But I I thought it was interesting um, listening here to her her first part of her interview here with Debbie DeGroff, because, you know, we've already talked to many other people through this process. And one of the people we talked with was Alex Newman, and he talked about the dumbing down of children and, you know, not teaching them uh, whole word method instead of phonics to read and just how much that's really torpedoed so many kids in wanting to read, their abilities to read, and just and Debbie talks about in one of her other um, interviews just how painful it is for for kids to read. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that she said is she said it was, it's her personal belief that the books have the changes in them before you see them in the movies and the media. And she was talking about like the LGBT agenda and the the transgender agenda. And I sat and I was thinking about it, and I thought, well. Why would they start tar- because, you know, the books that she reads are children's books, you know, preschool, mostly to- children's fictional. Books. Yeah, yeah, children's fictional books. So if you're pushing these things and she's going to talk about it, you're pushing these things in the books first to start to normalize it, because who is it that you need to attack? You need to attack the ones who do know how to read and think for themselves you do have to get to those people and change their beliefs first. And the earlier you start, the more likely it is that you can change someone's behavior, beliefs, and attitudes towards something, which is this whole social-emotional learning mm-hmm. that's being pushed into the schools as well. But we, that's that's for another day. Social-emotional right. learning is a whole other can of worms. And you'll hear Debbie talk reference one of the earliest books that she's found, children's books, that, that starts to try to normalize aberrant behavior is Mm. from 1969 Mm -hmm. a book that has a homosexual as the protagonist Mm -hmm. and as you said it starts with the books before it filters into the rest of the media Mm -hmm. we didn't really see gay characters in film and television as the protagonists until late 80s early 90s it started to kind of seep in there were you know Gay characters in films were always kind of the quirky, funny, mm-hmm. you know, goofy characters, but you just love them, kind yeah. of. Th- and um, and and it it slowly creeped and creeped, and now it's just out there. Yeah, it's just they they are the main characters are are gay, and I mm-hmm. and I'll just it's it's not a hard prediction to make, but you're gonna see you're gonna see companies like Disney mm-hmm. and Netflix. Uh, you just wait until Disney decides to make a lesbian princess movie. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Mm-hmm. I, I I just can guarantee it. This mm-hmm. is this this has snowballed so far, and they will continue to do this. So, yeah. all right. So, without further ado, let's get to part one with Debbie DeGroff. Well, my name is Debbie DeGroff, and I'm a wife, a mommy, and a grandmother. And when our oldest son first began to read, I would take him to the library. And as he, as he was choosing books, I would take home just about all of the new books with the shiny covers because they were on a special shelf. 
And juvenile books take about 15 or 20 minutes to read normally. And as I started reading these, I noticed something that was so different from what I was used to because I had been a voracious reader. You know, I read and read and read and read, and these were just different, which made me start asking questions. So I read more and more and more. And that's how I ended up at this point. So tell us what this point is. What is it that you have found? How long have you been researching? Well, I say over 30 years, but the problem is I learned how to read when I was seven and I read everything then. And I was in my 20s when I started this. So actually, there's very few years that I wasn't reading children's books. Mm -hmm. And I like to say that I don't do book reports. It's the patterns that I have noticed over the years. And when you read some books, sometimes you see things that you kind of flag in your mind, but you don't think much about it until you've read 10 more books and saw the same thing. And then you realize, okay, there's a pattern forming. And that's what I look for, the threads, the patterns, and why they're there and how it happened. So what patterns are you seeing that parents, every parent should be concerned about? Well, whatever whatever new vice really could, could sum it up. Um, if you have the transgender movement, or if you had the LGBT movement, if you had um, sexuality in books to begin with, whatever, you start seeing these patterns that are coming in, in all of the books from all of the major publishing companies. You know, it's not an isolated one. It's all coming in at the same time during the same years. And so you start wondering how that's happening. And it's my personal belief from doing this for a long time that the books have the changes in them that they're wanting to develop in society before you even see it in the movies and you know other forms of media. Can you give people an example of the types of patterns that you're talking about? Um, okay, well, in 1969, you had the first homosexual protagonist in a children's book. And... It, in one of the books that I have read from one of the editor that one of the editors uh, had all their love, their letters published. And so they have all the correspondence between that author and everything that they had to do to get that book published. And it was interesting because that editor was a lesbian. The author was a homosexual. And they knew that it was going to be hard to get past librarians and parents. So they talked about their plan of how they were going to get it endorsed to get it through the gatekeepers. Okay. So after that started, then you start seeing that opening up in all of the other children's books. It's always that first one, you know, with the transgender movement or whatever. Um, donor offspring children. And I do deal with that in my in my book. Um, you know, you have librarians will have whole lists of books that deal with every particular type of child. OK, and so they will be able to say, OK, 
if you're looking for that, we have this over here and this one and this one and this one. Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of how it works. So that's what I mean by patterns. You said the lesbian editor and the homosexual author. Mm -hmm. So how were they able to go around the quote unquote gatekeepers? Well, the 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 author had suggested Mary Calderon, actually, you know, with with Seek as Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. Okay, to do the endorsement, but the editor decided on a different doctor. I believe they might have been a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I can't remember right now, but they sent them kind of a summary of the book. And that person, I don't know if they read the whole book or just the summary, but then they wrote a plug. So you have that endorsement on the back that always makes something look, you know, respectable. And uh, you did have librarians back then who did challenge that, but you had others, of course, who who let those things in, and you know, and you see how that's developed since then. How many books have you come across that you've seen the Secus or Planned Parenthood endorse? Well, I don't actually. I'm dealing with with fiction all the way up from preschool up through young adult. So I don't think typically on the fiction you're going to see an endorsement in the back of the book. However, you will see Planned Parenthood pushed. I don't normally see Secus in itself, but you'll see Planned Parenthood pushed. Uh, one such book from the 70s actually details what your child would have to do if they wanted to contact Planned Parenthood, how the whole conversation would go when you call in, what would happen when you go with your visit, and what options they're going to give you as far as birth control. Tell me what you feel the most important thing that people really need to know. Well, number one, um, I think because we had all of those campaigns for so many years about how vital it is to read. Mm -hmm. Well, reading is very important. I agree with that. But somehow we made the leap that anything you read, you know, made you a rocket scientist. And so, uh, you know, and adding on to that, parents always looked at libraries as the books were safe and neutral. So you didn't question it. So it's just not a matter of public school kids. Homeschool kids actually probably, and, and private school kids probably read more than you know their public school counterparts. And so when you go in there and you turn your child loose, thinking that those books are safe and neutral, and they're bringing them home and they're picking up all of these different ideas. You know, I'd like to stop here and say this. What happens is when you're watching a movie or reading a book, you develop a relationship with the protagonist. And so even if you're watching a movie and that protagonist is a thief, by the time you get two thirds of the way through the movie, and they're ready to make the heist or whatever they're going to do, you're actually rooting for a criminal. And when most of us could sit here and say, okay, we, we think this is wrong, but somehow, even as adults, you get swept up in a movie. It's even more so in the children's books. So a lot of times you can take a child who knows the difference between right and wrong and uh, by the time they finish a book, 
it's so strategically done and it's such an emotional thing rather than a factual thing that you know that by the time you get to the end of the book, your whole worldview has changed, especially when you read many, many, many books that are taking you in that same direction. The question I have for parents, and be, you know, because I've done this for so long, I've heard all of the objections, you know, well, I don't have time to read the books, you know, my children are reading, or my child knows better. Well, if you had a book, and I'm just making this one up and throwing it in, and, and there was a sentence in the, every single book that they read that says, there is no God. How many times do they have to see that before it takes root? You know, you might bypass it the first time, but if every time you see it over and over and over, and then you see it in the movies and you hear it at school and this and that, okay, then how many times does that take? before your child's worldview is different. The Bible says that we are to train up a child in the way he should go. And somehow in the society we're living in now, they're treating parents as, as if you are harming your child by training them in the way that they should go, that they know better. And we've got to take that back and say, no, these are my children. Okay. And sometimes they act like if you don't let your child read that book, you're sheltering them and, and you're trying to control their thoughts, let alone the thoughts of everybody else in the world. But look at the millions of books that are available. If I'm a parent and I know that this book over here, number one, it's a great book. It's been around for years and years and years and they're gonna have some value for it. Why would I waste my time reading this if there's a better book? When I was starting to write my book and I thought, how do I really get the message across how important it is to parents to be aware? And we have 14 grandchildren and it just happened that I was looking up a sippy cup. If any of you are a parent or a grandparent, you know how many you have in your cabinet that leak. So as I was starting to order one, I was looking up the reviews and there was 156 questions about a sippy cup, one particular sippy cup. And according, you know, even, even one, could you steam it? Could you microwave it? And something about holding your wine in one. Okay. And, and I just stopped and I thought, 156 questions on a sippy cup and we ask nothing about what our children are reading, what they're watching, what they're hearing or what they're being taught. And so uh, my web designer created a little logo for me and I have a sippy cup on there. And of course the books, and there's also a shovel because sometimes you have to dig for the answers. You've got to ask questions but sometimes you have to look a little bit deeper to find out what you really need to know as a parent. So I love the illustration of the sippy cup and the shovel. Mm -hmm. And as she was telling that story and I was thinking of this long <laughs> project that we have going at our house. Uh -huh. um, if you've ever dealt with um, drainage issues, right, or flooding of any sort, so we bought our first house a few years ago, and one of the problems that we've had is 
um, water coming into the sunroom. Mm -hmm. And because there's a great big oak tree right next to the house, and we love the oak tree, but oak trees have very thick roots, and these roots have kind of brought the soil up around it. And so you have this slope that goes down, and the water comes in right at the foundation, right into the sunroom. And so from the very start, we've said what we need to do is run a drainage pipe, you know, from the house all the way out under the fence. Mm -hmm. And I've just been not wanting to do it because I didn't want to make a trench in the backyard that long. Well, we thought we had it dealt with. And then this spring it started again. And so there was one day when it was raining and you were out there. It was Mother's Day. It was Mother's Day. And you were <laughs> out there. Just point that out. <laughs> Digging, you started digging out away from the house, uh -huh. just desperate, <laughs> desperately trying to get the water to drain away from the house. Mm -hmm. And so then the next, uh, maybe a week or two after that, we got a couple days of torrential rain, mm -hmm. just spring, spring rain in Indiana. And it just came down and came down and came down. And I would sit here and watch it come up and then it would start to flow backwards <laughs> towards the sunroom. <laughs> and then I had my fill. So I put on the boots and my rain gear and I went out and I started digging all the way through the yard. Right. And I and one of the reasons I had avoided it is because of all of the roots. We have a lot of trees and all of these roots. And so I I dug all the way to the fence in the rain to just because I was sick of it. I was sick of and then we decided that what we really needed to do was to put a catch basin in and then the, the pipe all the way back at the sun, at where the sunroom is. But when you take the shovel to it, you discover there's a reason why this hasn't been done before. Right. And it's because of the roots. Mm -hmm. And what a great illustration she has of the sippy cup and the shovel because <laughs> these roots on this tree are so... I mean, it's an oak tree mm -hmm. and they're so twisted and deep. I've broken a shovel already mm -hmm. on it. And every time we think, okay, now we're going to try this and it'll work. And you run into more roots, run into more roots. But isn't it, a, it's a great example and picture of how many of us, we will put things off because we, we know what's out there. Right. And we put it off and we don't really want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But now we're in such a predicament in our society and in our culture and especially with our children. There is no one protecting our children mm -hmm. um, except for us. Right. And so, you know, we have to, as parents and grandparents, address this issue. Before it starts flooding back, Bef before it starts ruining the, That's right. the enjoyable part of your life, right? right? In our case, it's the sunroom. We <laughs> we kept putting it off and putting it off because we knew that the roots were there yep. and we were going to have to deal with quite literally the root of the problem mm -hmm. and that it was going to be more than we could handle with the tools that we had. And this is, this is why it's gone on so long mm -hmm. is because what we really need is a massive stump grinder to go in and take these roots out. <laughs> We've tried all different saws and reciprocating saws, and it, it, you always reach the end of the blade, and then there's more. Yeah. So, And that's how everybody in this battle feels. Yes. You, you reach the end of it, and there's more. Yeah, and there's always more. And speaking of that, I've got a great quote here that I wanted to share. This is from um, Friedrich Nietzsche, who was a German philosopher and poet and all kinds of things, but it was a really interesting quote. 
And he said, whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster. For when you look long into an abyss, the abyss also looks into you. And I read that and I thought of not only us, but especially everyone that we've interviewed for this film. Mm -hmm. Um, They spend their lives staring into the abyss, looking at these things and uh, researching, uncovering, digging down into those nasty, gnarled roots of things and exposing them. And I would ask you just to keep everyone in your prayers that you've heard on this podcast, especially, um, along with us, Mm -hmm. uh, the, this, this film, even more than Inwood Drive, (laughs) you know, dealing with the abortionist himself, this film has been um, a heavy load to bear, mm-hmm. and I don't put us above anyone else. Everyone that we have interviewed, you can just see it, you can feel it, that uh, it's a heavy load to bear. Mm-hmm. And um, we need people like this who are not afraid to dig into these things and expose them, but it is dangerous. It's, it's dangerous spiritually. Uh, there are things that um, that we have had to look at that um, that we've had to shut off and walk away. I mm-hmm. mean, there are things that Judith would send that I would say, I can't look at this. Mm-hmm. This is pornography. Mm-hmm. I was reminded of one other thing too that when we talk about uh, when we talk about these things, and and one of the hardest things for people because they tell us this when when we meet people out and they talk to us about this podcast and they say your podcast is difficult to listen to because the information is mm-hmm. difficult and listen we get it we totally understand it's like the roots in the yard you right. know that they're there you, do i really you, want to deal with them or not right and getting past our own internal disbeliefs um is i think the hardest part of it mm-hmm. once you get past that then you can make some progress just because we pretend that the roots aren't there doesn't change the fact that they're there, mm-hmm. that this stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. So um, I just ask you to keep us and everyone that you've heard on this podcast in your prayers because these are the frontline warriors that are going out and and exposing these things. So let's take a listen to a little bit of what you're going to hear on part two with Debbie DeGroff. It's not just the sex. A lot of people think that if there's no sex in a book and there's no profanity, that they're they're great. But if they're indoctrinating you to hate God, Christians are terrible people. Dads are always idiots in kids' books. The family has been destroyed in kids' books. And they've completely changed your child's worldview. Is that okay because there wasn't any sex or profanity? This is all important information for people everywhere to hear. And you can help us share this information when you partner with us through our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and you become a force multiplier for truth when you give to this ministry. There are three easy ways, online, text to give, or by mail. Visit fearlessfeatures.org forward slash give to give online, or you can text classrooms to 27777 
Again, that's classrooms with an S on the end to 27777. Or you can mail your support to Fearless Features, P.O. Box 85061, Fort Wayne, Indiana 46885. Thank you for sticking around to the end. That's all the time we have for today. Have a wonderfully blessed day. We'll be back again on Thursday with part two with Debbie DeGroff.